Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast but pleasant day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Shagufta Khan, Chief Executive of the Wish Center. Shagufta, hello. Hello, uh, hello. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. We might as well dive straight in. What is your personal leadership style? Um, my personal style is about uh, leading people um, in a way which is um, showing compassion, empathy, understanding, um, and basically uh, generating a sense of value from them for the organization um, so, uh, so that they feel that they are empowered uh, and that they can come to me with any issues or problems. Um, so it's a very open leadership style. Now, you work within a, a very serious field, uh, and of course, that must be rather mentally straining on uh, those who work for you. How do you uh, help them adjust to this circumstance? Um, so we basically um, have a lot of peer support in the organization because we deal with very challenging uh, and very uh, traumatic issues. So people, when they come to our service, make disclosures to us. Uh, and, and sometimes the details that they give us are, are very difficult to hear. Um, so basically, it, it is about peer support. It's making sure that people can talk to their colleagues, can talk to managers and line managers and supervisors um, so that they feel supported, really, with, uh, with dealing with the situation that they are hearing and listening to. Um, the other side of our work is around managing risk. Um, so if, if somebody has disclosed something which is very high risk, it's about making sure that the best is done for that person, for that individual. Uh, and often peer support uh, enables for the risk assessment and the safety plan uh, to be put in place so that the service users are feeling, um, are getting the best service and are feeling empowered. So it's very important to have a supportive yet collaborative work environment for your staff. It is, it is. And it's a very coaching style um, uh, leadership really in, in, this, in this sort of organization because um, we want people to be uh, working independently, um, but also so that they feel uh, able able to have those skills and that and those tools to work independently. But also, um, they don't feel um, worried or or anxious about asking for help and support when that's needed. Um, a coaching style leadership really enables them to um, sort of become self um, self functioning really. So they they are becoming um, more independent in, in how they're dealing with. Uh, day-to-day work and day-to-day um, decisions that we have to make. And how did you come to your leadership style? Was it an influence that you had earlier on in your career from, say, a, a leader that you worked for or with? Or is this just something uh, that you've developed over time? I think it's something I've developed over, over time. I've worked with um, many different managers in, in, in my time who have managed me. And people have had different uh, different styles of management. And I think... But for me, when I came into this role, because I was working in this organization um, and, and sort of uh, developed into this role. Um, so for me, it was uh, having getting that respect from my peers and having that step up and moving away from uh, working alongside them to managing them. Um, so uh, for me, I, I, I reflected on my different managers that I've had in my lifetime and thought, what is the best style for me to adopt? Um that will nurture that, the staff here and make them feel comfortable with me now stepping away from being working alongside them to managing them. 
but also uh, it's, it's a style that, you know, I want people to grow in the organisation. And if we can find people that can move on to leadership roles in the organisation, that's, that's an aim of mine and something that I would really want to see. Um, so I think this, this is a style I've just adopted. Now, when you develop your staff, what advice do you give them for a individual just starting out in your field of work? Um, so I think if, if when somebody's starting out, not not many people sort of straight away think that I, I want to be a leader or I want to become a leader. I think people are um, quite nervous sometimes of taking responsibility because it is a, a job that uh, is a very responsible job. Uh, it's not just the day-to-day management of the organisation, but my responsibility is also about making sure that funding is coming into the organisation, that people I've got money in the organisation to be able to employ the people that I employed here. So there's a lot of responsibility that comes with with a with a position like this. Um, but I think for me, it's about making sure that the people that come into this organisation see that there's a path for them to follow. So whether it is that they become seniors in, in the team or team leaders or supervisors, that there is a, a process that they can move into the organisation and move further up. So mobility is incredibly important for you and your organization, making sure that you have the next crop of emerging leaders coming forward. Um, absolutely, because, yeah, absolutely. No, please, elaborate. It, it, it is important because I think when, it, because it's a very specialist sector that I work in um, and um, the work that we do is, is, is very uh, specialist in, in, it, in, it, in, in the way that we, uh, in the domestic abuse sector, for example. So we need people, not just with, leadership qualities, but also people who understand domestic abuse, understand the third sector, uh, the challenges that the third sector causes. Um, so it, it is better if you can sort of nurture and develop people that are already in the organisation, perhaps not in this organisation, but perhaps in other third sector organisations, because I think they will fit better within the sector than somebody who's maybe working for the statutory sector or the public or the private sector, um, because their expectations and their um, experiences are very different. Um, so for me, it's important to, to sort of make sure that the people in this organization um, have that opportunity, if I can possibly give that to them. Now, what would your words advice be to someone who is looking to start out a career uh, in your field? I think volunteering is a really, really a good way to get into this sort of sector uh, or any third sector organization. We work with people who are vulnerable. Uh, whether you work for a domestic abuse charity, a homeless charity, uh, a mental health charity, um, we're working with people who are vulnerable and at, at our crisis point when they access help and support. We are also um, supporting the statutory sector in de- delivering services because of the austerity cuts and, and, uh, and you know services being reduced. So, to gain that experience and that empathy in working with vulnerable people, you need to start off with um, volunteering, I think, and really understand, is this something that you want to work with? Um, Because it is challenging. Um, It is very rewarding at the same time. Um, But if you don't have that sort of connection with people or that empathy with people, then this is not the sector for you. So I think volunteering is a good way to get experience. Now, why don't we change tack uh, just slightly? If you had to choose objectively the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Um, the greatest leader does it have to be a leader in this sector no no across the whole spectrum of society or history Um, I think Obama for me um, 
uh, and, and both, both husband and wife. I know, I know uh, uh, Barack was the president, uh, but Michelle, I think, was a really supportive um, person in his life. And I think their style uh, was very warm, very empathetic, um, very compassionate, um, and they and very nurturing. Um, so I think they sort of stand out to me as just people that I admire and respect. And do you find that you draw lessons from the Obamas in your everyday life? I, I hope so. I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure whether I could give you any comparisons there, but I, I hope so. I think they treated people with respect and dignity and empathy, um, and that sort of shone through. Um, you know, in, in any sort of when um, uh, anybody sort of watched them on TV, um, giving a speech or just meeting people. And I think that's something that I really re- admired. And I hope that that's something that I reflect, you know, um, in my day-to-day life here, that I show that compassion and empathy, not just to the, the staff here, but also to our volunteers, um, to our service users that come into our service. Um, and I think I, I'm hoping that people sort of observe that from me and, and adopt that same style in, in their day-to-day life as well. Now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. Um, but before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for the Wish Center? Uh, since, uh, since April 2019, we have grown um, massively. Um, we're a very small organization even now in comparison to other organizations, but we have doubled in size in the last um, since April 2019 to now. And I think the next 12 months are going to be period of, um, of growth for us and, and hopefully of um, reaching more people, supporting more people, developing more holistic support services. That's the vision that I see for our organization. Well, Shagufta, I'd like to thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much look forward to speaking with you again uh, to hear more about uh, the great work that you're doing at the Wish Center. Uh, thank you again. Thank you. That was Shagufta Khan, Chief Executive of the Wish Center. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of Leadership, it would be remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure your delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, Are they in in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So... I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from 
uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the the future, and that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it? that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives. I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime, I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, An ageing population, Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, And And climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them. Uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. 
And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I, I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's what it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I, I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant, he said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority Mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities, they know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game. Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after week. No, I, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it's change, it does change, it lifts the image of the 
City internationally, if you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City, then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose And then five you lose 5-0 at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field... They walked instead of ran. They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously? And if you could answer that question, and there may have something may have happened. Who knows? Something during the morning before the game started. Something may have gone sour. You get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah, well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more... Uh, 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 people, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her... One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle, not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them, but get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief that you believe in it and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for a, a, an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also I should add that is how uh, all Stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always try to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either um, oh, Well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about 
uh, the Leeds Castle especially, is that um, it takes and talks to people, again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they, it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics. You, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education... And employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse and you don't get everything right that's the other thing you've got to recognize which is why being part of a broader team being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind that that that's the the measure and i think if we can share those traits those experiences those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions. Perhaps in three things: what will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the thirty-first of January, and where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, 
strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. And, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months... I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off, but I am really reluctant and I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. <laughs> this has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.